because we've been trained around this. We've been hearing it our whole lives. Most of us have been. And it's just so different. It can feel unnatural at first to say, oh, actually bodies can come in different sizes and shapes. And this isn't something that needs to be like, quote unquote, fixed or changed. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the Seasoned RD podcast for professionals. I'm Beth Harrell, your host, And this is our prevention series number three. Today, we're talking with Kimmy Singh, a registered dietitian nutritionist with her own diagnoses of eating disorder, as well as PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Unfortunately, Abby, our co-host, was not able to join. And at the last minute, Dr. Voss, our medical co-host, was also pulled into clinic and could not join the recording. But you will hear from Dr. Voss, however, during this episode because she did record her thoughts for us. It was so important because this is for professionals. I really want you to hear what happened with Kimmy along the way with her eating disorder diagnosis, as well as her polycystic ovarian syndrome diagnosis. And Dr. Voss gives us some perspective and beautiful language to use when sharing a new diagnosis with anyone. Our words as therapists, medical providers, and registered dietitian nutritionists are so very powerful. We are joined by Kate Meek, who was a previous guest on this podcast and who has a passion, I put that in caps, all caps, passion for eating disorders prevention, as well as a shared diagnosis of PCOS. I got to sit back and be a fly on the wall while the two of them kind of connected around their diagnoses and the time went so fast. Please know if you want more about the science around PCOS and the kindness that you hear uh, just just exuding from Kimmy, check out the show notes for Kimmy's new course for professionals that's rolling out March 6th. I don't want you to miss it. So we're going to drop this podcast now. All right. Enjoy. Well, welcome Kimmy Singh to the Seasoned RD podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. And we have with us Kate Meek today. You have known her from previous episode, and she's going to be asking some questions. Unfortunately, Dr. Voss got caught up in clinic, and Abby was unable to make it. So we are going to have a little party between the three of us and all of you who are listening. Hi, Beth. Hi, Kate. Hi, Kimmy. I'm so sorry I could not be there for this podcast. This is Dr. Voss, and I was reviewing this great podcast and wanted to just make a few comments. My first one is your story about PCOS. I think it's a great reminder to all of us providers that any kind of chronic illness is a life-changing diagnosis, and the patient deserves time to pause and reflect. 
It can often feel uncomfortable for providers to have that space of quietness, but it is helpful and warranted and the family deserves that space to process, period. That is also true for eating disorders. I try to be very mindful anytime I give a new diagnosis of an eating disorder to a child and their parents that I have just changed their life forever. That is extremely powerful and needs to be respected. Couple of icebreakers, sweet or salty? Oh my gosh, salty, definitely, with a little bit of spice. <laughs> Ooh, like what? Is that a snack? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Any snacks. So I'm thinking, yeah, I love like flaming hot Cheetos. I love like salted yeah. flavor vinegar chips or almonds they have now. So yeah, I think definitely just like those really strong flavors. <laughs> oh, now I want some salt and vinegar chips. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what about you guys? Could I ask? For, I don't know if you already answered it. Or do you prefer sweet or salty? You know, mine is the combination, like chocolate-covered pretzels or something like that. That's yes. pretty delicious to me. Yeah. yeah. I love all flavors, but I'm really into, like, the dark chocolate almonds, or they have had these, like, sesame seed almonds from Trader Joe's that, yes. like, really hit on the sweet factor and the crunch factor. Oh, that, that sounds great. But also, a, a, like, a salt, salty chip, you can't go wrong. Yes. I think I just saw those almonds from Trader Joe's a couple days ago. I'll have to try them next time. Kimmy, they're delicious. And so our second question, as a fellow New Yorker, we don't often see either of these because of the buildings, but are you a sunrise or a sunset individual? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I, the, a part of me wants to say sunrise because I'm a morning person, but let's be real. Like if I'm awake in the morning, I'm not watching the sunrise. I'm doing a million things. So, so really sunset, especially now as the days are getting a little longer. I completely agree. The ambition with sunrise is real. Yeah. And- <laughs> Our last question is, what is your favorite food memory as a child? Oh, oh my gosh. This is such a great question. You know what? I think of like, so I grew up near New Paltz. I don't know. I'm sure you know what New Paltz is, where New Paltz is, Kate. But it's, oh, it's I love little, New Paltz. Yeah. So it's like a little bit upstate. And I'm thinking of these summers where there was like this soft serve, like ice cream place. And we would go there. And I, I remember getting like a twist on a cone with sprinkles and it was just the nicest thing. And I don't feel like it felt complicated. It just was really tasty and had this taste of summer to it. Uh, let's not overcomplicate soft serve. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I feel like upstate New York has really good ice cream and dairy. Like there are a lot of dairy farms uh-huh. up there. So a lot of people that don't live in New York don't know that. But yeah, it's interesting. So I'm with two fellow New Yorkers, two shared New Yorkers, and I'm landlocked in Missouri, Kansas City area. So I I enjoy sunrises. And that's, yeah, just try to whenever I'm out walking the dog or mm-hmm. just making sure that sometimes we have gorgeous sunrises and sunsets here mm-hmm. in Missouri. Nice. So Kimmy, we are in our prevention series. And this is for professionals and not all professionals listening are treating eating disorders, right? It's just that they're medical therapy and nutrition providers who are interested in 
disordered eating and eating disorders. And so can you give us a little background as to what got you into the space of disordered eating and eating disorders and any anything that you'd like to share? And then we'll just ask questions as you go along. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I wasn't really planning on being a dietitian when I was in college. My undergrad is in physics. It was a really big shift after undergrad when I decided to yeah, really had like go for a whole career plan change. And it was <laughs> after undergrad that I was diagnosed with my eating disorder. And yeah, it was just a big plot twist in life, but also something that I feel like really connected me to like my humanity and the humanity of others. And it really shifted what I wanted to do with my life. And so from there, I like went to pursue my master's in nutrition, did all the dietetics training. And yeah, also like did a lot of tough recovery work in between. And yeah, a lot, it was was pretty wild. But then I think like during my recovery, it was like, there were little components that kept feeling like it added to the sum of what it, what being recovered really felt like. And first it felt like I needed this, like to learn about body liberation, fat liberation. And then it was learning more about PCOS and how that fit into things. And then I was like, oh, wow, I'm, I feel like I'm really understanding my body now. Like all these things that I felt like made me feel different or feel like the exception when it comes to my eating disorder, my recovery, I was like, oh, now now it makes sense. And so the, the science-y part of me just felt like, okay, now I feel like I get this. Like I can get on board with this whole recovery thing. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so I, I feel like I got introduced to the eating disorder community yeah, like back back then, like during my training pretty early on. So I, I've been really fortunate to meet so many great colleagues and mentors along the way and feel very embraced by the community, even as someone who's in a larger body, as a dietitian who faced a lot of discrimination in different areas. It's It's been really nice to feel that embrace from pockets of the community. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of like the short, long answer. <laughs> You mentioned so many things, body liberation kind of seemed like the first thing, then understanding PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and then now just really understanding weight inclusive care. And you and I are on, and this is not a spoiler alert, I'm allowed to tell people that dietetic students are going to have a weight inclusive toolkit for year three coming out, I think this fall, and you've been involved in it. So exciting. Yeah, I think this is such a game changer. When I think back to being a student, if I would have had that toolkit, it would have changed so much. It really would have just introduced so much earlier on. So because this is the prevention series, what do you think we can do? I know you're you're busy writing that portion of it and it's a big toolkit. It's it's really mm-hmm. awesome. What do you want to say about really understanding? weight inclusive care, because that in my mind can help prevent eating disorders. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it really goes back to this premise that size diversity exists. And when we, when we, as dietitians, as providers approach people with this idea that unless their body size is fitting into this really one specific category that they're going to be unhealthy, they're not going to live a full life, X, Y, Z. It's going to make it really hard to see them as an individual and to really address their individual needs 
to really work on what their specific goals are because weight loss is always going to be something that you feel like you should focus on. So I think that's where like for providers that maybe are dabbling into this or still getting familiar, it really does take commitment to check in with those biases because we've been trained around this. We've been hearing it our whole lives. Most of us have been. And it's just so different. It can feel unnatural at first to say, oh, actually bodies can come in different sizes and shapes. And this isn't something that needs to be like, quote unquote, fixed or changed. I think that's going to be the quote. It can feel unnatural at first to say these things because sometimes like with anything, not just the work that I do, but I, sometimes I have to practice my strength Mm -hmm. and, and then be open when we're in with a client to whatever comes our way. Cause we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and we'll talk more about it, but it comes up a lot around PCOS because sometimes we can feel like we're doing it wrong or it can feel like we are, yeah, we need to be a perfect provider And I think it really starts with knowing it's okay to be imperfect and to learn along the way. And like you said, like practicing that strain. Kimmy, I think you're in this really interesting fusion of both having PCOS and being a provider. Can you talk a little bit about your initial diagnosis and then how it also informs your work as a clinician and what we can do as providers better? Yes. Oh my gosh. So When I think to my initial diagnosis, so I was 19 and I went for like my first annual checkup at the OBGYN. It felt like a weird like step into womanhood, but I was also like, I don't want to do this. I have to, but I don't want to do this. And so, and like at the end of the appointment, the physician said, oh, and like, I think you have polycystic ovarian syndrome. You might have trouble conceiving one day. And like, and before, and she was literally on the way out of the door when I was like, wait, what, what did you say? And she was like, oh, don't worry. We'll get you a pamphlet on it later. Like, you know, and then she, yeah, she didn't really elaborate at all. And she, I think she said, she pointed to a nurse. She was like, oh, but she has it too. And she just had a baby. And, and I was like, what? Like I'm 19, I'm in college. I don't want to have babies right now. And I also couldn't even really grasp, like it's such a mouth mouthful, like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. So this is such a common experience. And I think like having, remembering what it was, what what I felt in that moment to sit with a new diagnosis, given in such an, an abrupt manner, given like right after this, like first kind of like invasive appointment, and then, so I, I remember, I remember getting the the pamphlet and reading through it, and I was like, okay, well, I have irregular periods, I have some facial hair, but my family is South Asian, like that's kind of part of the experience. So I was like, how seriously do I take this? Does this doctor even know what she's talking about? She didn't really talk much about it, so I I just kind of had a whole question mark about it. Then I went home and I like kind of Googled. And I remember when I Googled, like there were so many like comorbidities or associated conditions that came up and I was like, wait a minute, I don't have all this. And I didn't really understand what it meant. So I kind of, and I kind of chalked it off to like, I don't know if this thing is, if I really have this and I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really like settle in. And this is something I see now too. Sometimes when people get a new diagnosis, And they're really confused by how much is associated with PCOS. And so that initial confusion is something that I think like as a clinician, 
I sort of see it as like, oh no, like you fit the criteria, you have PCOS, but people tend to be really confused because they don't understand like what a syndrome is, where it's more of a collection of certain experiences versus a different type of diagnosis, or the fact that you can have some of these associated conditions or be at a higher risk, but it doesn't mean you necessarily will. And mind you, this is when I was studying physics, so I didn't really understand like what was like, like the healthcare side of things. Yeah, so I think that's like an initial experience that I don't think I would have really grasped unless I had that experience myself. Yeah, but even now it's still it's still really wild to see like how each person responds to it differently, but that there is this common confusion in some way. I will just say that so deeply resonates with me because I also have PCOS and was diagnosed around the same time and have a very similar story, which I think collectively, if you would pull individuals, it probably sounds similar. And so I think you have this really incredible work as a clinician. Where have you found information? Where do you send clients? What are your resources? And also, what are sources of hope for individuals with PCOS? We are going to take a quick break to talk about the inspiration for this prevention series. This podcast is for professionals who work with eating disorders. And many of us say that we wish we could be out of a job. If we could prevent eating disorders, that would be way more fun than the work we do today in trying to help save lives and and help people pick up the pieces of some of this devastation. So this is sponsored by... Children's Mercy Eating Disorders Program in Kansas City, although Children's Mercy Eating Disorders Center treats children and teens with eating disorders along with their families, they saw this as a po- this podcast as a way to spread important information about prevention, like I said, about finding a different career if eating disorders vanished. They were able to sponsor five episodes due to a generous donation from a couple whose granddaughter was treated for an eating disorder at Children's Mercy and who are particularly passionate about prevention to save other teens and families the pain their own family has experienced. Thank you so much to the anonymous donors and thank you to Children's Mercy for bringing this series to us as professionals. Oh my gosh, such a great question. I've learned a lot through the years from my mentor, Julie Duffy Dillon. I find that when I'm feeling, I don't know, like when I'm feeling confused, in all honesty, I find myself going straight to the research. I'm like, what can we find here? What does it really say? And yeah, that that's what feels best for me because I, there is such, yeah, there are just such mixed messages and sometimes when I'll see an, read an article or I'll read a piece and I look at the actual research, I'm like, oh, well, this study only has this amount of people or it just it just feels like it needs to be looked at with a little bit more of a critical eye, especially before giving recommendations for folks. Yeah, I think that answers your question. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I'd recommend. I think I think it's hard. Like this kind of goes back to I wish that there were more resources for providers as a student, I think we talked about PCOS for a few, like maybe half of, yeah, like I remember, like, I think I had a little, a little bit in one lecture. And what I found out later when I told other people, they were like, oh, we didn't talk about it at all. And so I'm so grateful we talked about it, but it's, you know, like, you know how it is in dietetics, there are so many things we're covering. So there are so many things we don't get to talk, speak about and Yeah. 
So you're going to share with us towards the end here some other resources in the in the works, which I'm super excited about. I'm also curious about your diagnosis of an eating disorder. When yeah. that, I mean, if you're willing to share that. Yeah, like, absolutely. So yeah, I feel like what I'm usually pretty open about sharing is what happened for me was I I think I started dieting and trying to lose weight at a pretty young age in some capacity. And as diets do, they don't work and they kind of put you in this cycle of feeling like you need to be stricter the next time or buckle down even more. And I just found that like from, yeah, like from being a child to somehow to, yeah, like early adulthood, it really became more and more intense and turned into an eating disorder. And yeah, like it was, it was also really confusing because I didn't know that you could have an eating disorder and not be thin. And once again, this is bef way before I was in the field. And so it was like, something's not right with food for me, but I don't know, like, I don't know what's going on. So it was kind of a bizarre, yeah, it was kind of a bizarre experience in hindsight because I really didn't know, yeah, like what was going on. But then, because I, I just thought you could do anything to lose weight and it's it's okay as long as you're in a larger body. And yeah, I was so wrong. But you should be doing, right? Right. But I'm, I'm still like, I guess, impressed with whoever you're, team was that diagnosed you with that because some professionals are still struggling with diagnosing eating disorders and yeah. people of different sizes. Oh my gosh. Same, same. Well, and it was actually that so same OBGYN a couple of years later, I gained a lot of weight in a small amount of time. And she, I just remember like she was livid. And when I say livid, like she was so angry. She really wanted me to get weight loss surgery and that's when I told her, I was like, I think there's something going on, like emotionally, like I didn't use the language of an eating disorder, but she referred me out. And I, I feel similarly, I'm so thankful that I was diagnosed because it was really important in me getting more help. Awesome. Super helpful. And that's what we want our providers who are listening to start to practice some of those statements, you know, really understanding and practicing it feels unnatural at first on how we approach people about eating disorders. And your example is just one of like what Kate said, so many whose stories are similar where the doctor either, I, I don't want to always say doctor, can be doctor, dietitian, mm -hmm. and therapist included, can just write off PCOS, disordered eating, eating disorders. And what do we call it? Lazy medicine? When a doctor recommends weight loss over anything else. And I had a teen that I was working with who lost, and I'm going to say numbers here. It's a podcast for professionals, 150 pounds and still had hypertension. Mm. And what is the myth that is going around that if you lose five to 10% of your body weight, even if you're still the O word or the morbidly O word, that you will have better health. Is that true? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more about lazy medicine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, it, it makes me think of something that like, like just like what comes up for providers, whether it's dietitians or doctors, like when they're feeling out of control, 
around a patient or client's body. And I, I think that comes up a lot around PCOS, where there can be like sudden weight changes. There can be so many other conditions that can show up, sort of like what I call the PCOS iceberg, which we can talk more about. But yeah, it's just sort of like stuff that maybe these providers should be talking about in therapy instead of lashing out about towards their patients. Oh my gosh. So whenever they, the doc or someone feels out of control is when they do the lazy medicine. Oh my gosh. A hundred percent. Like when this, when this doctor was yelling, like literally yelling, everyone in the office could hear that's not about my body. That's her stuff. I don't know if it's about her relationship Mm -hmm. with her body or what else, but it's, it's not mine to take on. I I couldn't agree with that more. And I think there's also this intersection of, I will call it like opulent prescribing, because I think oftentimes with PCOS providers will take it personal in a way. And they're just prescribing a pill. Yeah, I'll say metformin. And now I think I would love for you to just talk about GLP ones, because I think that a lot of families are, we'll say well intended, and especially in the ED space for this preventative series, how would you educate a provider and a family? Because I think in a way they want to support an individual with PCOS, but there is this intersection of personal, it's almost taken personally, and then a, a clinician can fix it by then prescribing let's say a metformin or a GLP-1, how right. how would you speak to a clinician in that space? Yeah, well, I think it would go back to like, what are we treating here? Sometimes clinicians will sort of over-prescribe metformin for PCOS, even when A1C is in range, because they are hoping this person would lose weight on the metformin. And so it's, yeah, that in itself is very frustrating. and. Yeah, like a lot of times what I will speak to clinicians about is like if we can look at PCOS a little bit more like like an iceberg, like with like we need to address what they're actually experiencing. So if is losing weight really going to help them manage their PCOS and why why is that not accurate, right? So for for providers that are when they're looking at a client or a patient whose blood sugar is in range, who's feeling fine, who maybe has some irregular periods, like there are so many other things that they can explore, whether it's around lifestyle, whether it's around supplements, whether it's around like stress management, there's so much more going on. But when you look at someone in a larger body and you say, okay, take this, it'll help you lose weight. First, that's actually not the case, especially like with, with metformin, that's not the case. And also like with GLP-1s, we also know it's not even kind of like the gold standard for treatment for PCOS. We know that metformin is like really well studied around PCOS. And it's something like when someone does have blood sugar that is out of range, it can be so helpful. But it's sort of like, yeah, I think like you said, like that prescription pad becomes a little bit more about them extending that feeling of control. And then when this patient comes back and they haven't been taking this, a lot of times they get sort of, they feel like they're getting in trouble or the provider can take it personally and feel like, oh no, like they, they didn't listen to my directions. And I think it just kind of creates more of a tumultuous relationship between the patient and the provider. 
Does that answer your question? Just I feel why? like it was a little all yeah. over. <laughs> He's saying yes. Thumbs <laughs> up. This is why I wish Dr. Voss was able to join oh, in this yeah. moment because I know that doctors are under a lot of pressure to see a lot of patients. Yeah. And they are also be held into different standards. And when I say what different standards, like their, their job is to care. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when, when with a therapist, the job is to help people cope with grief, with sadness, with depression, with anxiety, with eating disorders, with, 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 and with a doctor's role, I think it's more, I, I don't know. I, I, I remember working with a doctor on, with a, a client who was really, we were talking about palliative care and this person was in their, well, I wouldn't even say the age. They were, they were young enough that they had not lived a full life for sure. Well, we could get into whole topic of this, but basically that the doctor really just wanted to cure this person. And so it was sending them to tube feedings and hospitals and having to hold their, their arms down so that they wouldn't pull the tube out and all of those things. So that I digress a little bit in that I realized in that moment that I'm seeing the human, you mentioned seeing the humanity. And the doctor is seeing my job is to heal. My job is to heal. Mm -hmm. And I've been told my neural pathways are pretty deep that if people lose five to 10% of their weight, they're going to be better. They're going to have lower blood pressure. They're going to have less heart disease. They're going to have more fertility. They're going to have better blood sugar control. And we know, we know in this room that that's not true. And that's so liberating for our clients and our patients. When I listened to your podcast with Julie Duffy Dillon, I, I learned so much, so much. It was a series. And I think you were an intern at the time, or mm -hmm. were you a dietitian? I was about to start my internship. Yeah, it was the summer after yeah. grad school. Yes. 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 I yes. mean, fast forward to now. And what yeah. do you have for us? You've got some resources for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I I am working on a PCOS course that's going to actually, yeah, launch in a month from now. So registration is going to open in just a couple of weeks. I don't know how soon this is going to be up, but there's also a webinar on March 6th that I'm doing on PCOS and eating disorders that I think might be really great for your listeners if, yeah, if they can, if it's up in time. But yeah. And then I also have a free checklist for a sort of assessing what's going on with a client or a patient with PCOS, just sort of getting a bigger picture. So I, I think that, yeah, like doctors are under so much pressure. And whenever I speak with doctors or medical students, it can feel so overwhelming for them to not know sort of where to go or how to look at patients outside of this very narrow window in a really narrow window of time. <laughs> and so this could be a good checklist just to help get a bigger picture of what's going on. And yeah, just a little bit of clear guidance on that. And I, I think it goes back to like, that's where I said that PCOS iceberg. On top, you're going to sort of see the person that might be struggling with blood sugar, struggling with hypertension, and you're going to see maybe like weight fluctuation, higher inflammatory markers. And it can be really scary for a provider when that's going on. 
And it can feel like, okay, we need to fix all this. We need to control it. And that's where I would encourage a provider to take a deep breath, look a little bit deeper. Like, is this person also experiencing anxiety? How is their sleep? Like, like get a little bit more information and then go a little bit deeper from there. Like maybe it's referring them because they have a trauma history. Maybe they have some perfectionism that's really dominating their relationship with food. They're having some intense cravings. Weight stigma is making it hard for them to really stay connected to meeting with their providers. But you might notice with PCOS clients, there can be a lot that comes up that can cause that feeling of overwhelm. You mentioned that before. So get a little more information. The doctors call that what's the differential or what, you know, gather that information for us dietitians Mm -hmm. asking. It's okay to ask about sleep or weight stigma or other things or, or anxiety or depression or history of trauma, things related to we don't do therapy. We don't do all of that, but we have to understand the human that's in the room across Mm -hmm. from us who's begging to be seen and to be heard as, as the human that they're, that they are and not be gaslit and all of that. So I think you actually answered the wrap up question a little bit already, (laughs) but I'm going to say, so we can put all of that in the show notes. I want you to make sure to send us the links to the March 6th webinar. Okay. to the free checklist and to the course mm-hmm. so that when it's ready to register, that people can then click on that and register for your course. Is it a course that's ongoing or is it a cohort? Yeah. So there are going to be different cohorts. So it's going to be a live course. And then, yeah. So right now registration is going to be open for the first cohort. And yeah, if you join the waitlist, there will be, you'll have access to early registration because it, there will be a cap on how many people and yeah, and it'll also be a little discount with the waitlist. So it might be helpful. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Get on that waitlist. Mm-hmm. So my wrap up question for the prevention of eating disorders series is if you had a piece of a nugget of advice for us as providers to help lessen the load of the the potential eating disorder expression in someone's life, what can we do? Mm, In general or for PCOS? Either one and maybe Mm. both. Yeah. Gosh, I think like it goes back to like trying to check in with how your humanity comes in in the room with your patients. Does it feel like you need to be a perfect provider Does it feel like you're okay to be a little vulnerable, to get things wrong, to, yeah, sort of be yourself, be authentic? I think it can make a really big difference in how you show up with folks. That's it. Mic drop. I mean, check in with how your humanity comes in. The yelling that that provider did at you where other people, that is the the polar opposite of what you were just asking. Check in with, with your own perfectionism as a provider, your own need to heal. And Dr. Adela Franz has a really great clinician trap, clinician tree and trap that helps talk about when you find yourself just giving lots of science mm-hmm. or avoiding certain things or enabling your patient or whatever it may be, that there's there's a root to that and it's within us as providers. Mm-hmm. So check in with how your humanity comes in. Do you have to be perfect provider? And the nugget that you gave before that I thought was also a great response was get a little bit more information. 
Yeah. Okay. Get curious. Get curious, especially if your brain is saying, lose weight. I'm going to tell them this year's your prescription. Lose weight, lose weight. Take a pause and get curious. Get a little more information about all the things, hydration, sleep, all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was wonderful. I think it, it really wrapped up just how we can, as clinicians, do better and how we can support people in their humanity and really just share the space especially with PCOS. I think that is a lot of times it feels really unsafe. And so I think just to inform providers that it's okay to say, I'm here with you. I don't know. And we're going to get through this. There's a lot of power in just being with someone. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Goodness. Thank you so much. I just had another dietitian reach out to me recently and she wanted to be get connected. She's interested in, in fertility and also interested in PCOS. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I've got the people for you. So I'm going to send her this, yeah. this podcast and hopefully she'll pass it along. Thank you, Kimmy Singh for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. And if you want to connect with me for all things eating disorders and disordered eating from an RD, registered dietitian perspective, there are three ways to do that. One is my membership. And actually, two of those ways are my membership. There's a tier one and a tier two. But it's, the membership is for anyone, not only professionals, anyone who wants to join the conversation about medical, nutrition, therapy perspectives floating through my brain, things that I've learned through the podcast, things that I've learned in my three plus decades of work with all ages. And the membership has monthly content with the two tiers. Tier one is the content and a text community where we can share ideas. And tier two is once per month with a live coffee talk where you can just pop in and say hi, or you can be a fly on the wall and add, um, just listen to some ideas related to that month's theme. And then finally, for professionals, I offer small consult groups that run from January to June and July to December, usually therapists and RDs, but I would love to have a medical provider. And I offer individual consultation. Information on all this is in the show notes.